Those of you who have been joining us the last couple of weeks know that we have been in the Lord's Prayer. And this is our final week looking at Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. And I would just invite you, as I read the scripture, once I get to the prayer itself, would you join me so that we can pray it together? Uh, this is Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And will you join me? Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation. Lord, we thank you for this prayer that you have given us. We thank you for these weeks that we've spent um, reflecting on it, and we pray that you would continue to teach us as Dave shares with us today. Pray this in your holy name, amen. We're continuing today and in this short series called Praying with Jesus, considering uh, the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray in Luke chapter 11. The mystery of prayer begins at a very early age, and I think to be honest, uh, I think we're learning that that mystery continues all of our lives. Certainly shows up in some of these Humorous prayers by some kids. Listen up, they're quite humorous. Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you're doing it. Dear God, uh, please take care of my daddy, mommy, sister, brother, my doggy, and me. Oh, please take care of yourself. God, if anything happens to you, we're in a big mess. Dear God, when my mom makes leftovers, do I have to pray for the food again? And lastly, dear God, uh, thank you for my baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Regardless of whether our prayers are on or off, they're acute, they're you know, cautious, or full of conviction, prayer gets us thinking about God. And when we're thinking about God, we're in our best place. This is what was happening in Luke chapter 11. We catch up to the disciples who were thinking about God. They were thinking about Jesus who was with them and of course thinking about their spiritual lives. They were curious, perhaps longing for more in their relationship with God and perhaps wanting to be more involved as they were on this journey with Jesus. Evidence is seen of this heart's desire uh, through the question that the disciples asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Jesus, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? There's no record of John teaching his disciples to pray. But what we do know that was that John taught of the need for prayers of repentance and confession by way of water baptism. So obviously, the longer the disciples, Jesus' disciples, were walking with Jesus, they realized that prayer was more than confession of sin and repentance, while it included that. 
Certainly the disciples had heard Jesus pray or were hearing Jesus pray about so much more. Um, through prayer, Jesus received his call and commission for ministry. Through prayer, Jesus sought direction when tested in ministry. Do I go with the crowd or do I go with the plan that God has, my Father has for me to the cross? Through prayer, Jesus chose his 12 apostles out of all the disciples that were following him. Jesus prayed because his identity and purpose as a suffering Messiah did not match the images of the, that the people who, who loved him and followed him would prefer. It's in prayer that Jesus gives thanks to God for the faith given to his followers and then commissions 70 of his followers to ministry. And it was during times of prayer that Jesus kept his focus upon the ministry his Heavenly Father had called him to and commissioned him to do, and in some way became single-minded in his walk. So perhaps in Luke 11, the disciples were seeing that prayer is tied up to, towards many good things. It's tied to calling and commissioning. Prayer is needed to select friends, colleagues. Prayer is needed to handle disappointment. Prayer is needed for faith to grow. Prayer is needed to remain single-minded and devoted to God. Prayer is needed for the infilling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. All seen through the prayers of Jesus and disciples were warming to the idea of needing that for themselves. And so, Jesus, would you teach us to pray and what a good request, even for us today. Our need is not different. And so Jesus uh, uses uh, the wording in the Lord's Prayer, recorded in Luke 11, verses 2 to 4, that Kirsten uh, led us in earlier. And it means so much to us. What Jesus was showing and teaching and leading us along a path on was to, to prioritize talking to God about things that are important to God. Because again, the Lord's Prayer is God's idea for us. It's what God has for us. And this encouragement, of course, is to pray over and over again about these important things because of the path and the provision that these prayers, when answered, provides for the human race. So let's kind of look again at some of the highlights of these, this short prayer. Father, it begins. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it, um, Matthew records the same teaching, enlarges it slightly by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. As we've heard from uh, Luke and Kirsten these last few weeks, Prayer gets us thinking about God, uh, a, a Father that is in heaven, that is involved in the realities of the present heaven and the rule and reign of Christ on earth. There's a familiar proverb that says, a person should be not so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly good. But I think the opposite could be true as well. We could potentially be so earthly-minded that we are no heavenly good. So the immediate, perhaps negative effect of not praying, and certainly not praying to our Father in heaven, is, is going to be um, uh, an, uh, not having little appreciation 
for all the activities on God's mind as he finds himself in heaven caring about the things on earth. So prayer to our Father in heaven gets us to take our eyes off of ourselves, our tendency to be fixated with the world and all that is happening on earth and gets us thinking about someone who is not of this world and yet cares deeply about everything that happens on his planet every minute of every day. And this continues and will continue until, of course, there is a new heaven and a new earth as promised in Revelation 21 that I'll speak about in just a moment. Friends, the earth that we are standing and praying on today will not always be. Prayer to a Father in heaven puts us in touch with a timetable and puts us in touch with a goal that is so important. Prayer in 2022 reminds us of the shadows of eternity that are cast over us today. Shadows that are created by the light of a living Jesus. And Luke, the prayer continues, Father, may your name be kept holy. In the ancient world, and Luke and Kirsten have mentioned this, names were not just words. They represented titles. They represented dominion. And they represented character and the level of authority that someone would have. And so when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and reference his name, it should not be missed on us, the significance of the name of Jesus, which is taught all throughout Scripture. I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, where we are reminded of the sacredness of this holy name and given to him this name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, this name, carrying the name of the one that loves, is creative, is organized, is capable, alive, moves, leads, lifts, delivers, enables, empowers, forgives, bends low, has no equal rival, is set apart. This name of, of the one that can do all things. And as someone that uh, carries those unique qualities unto himself, Jesus, there's just the one, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be this name and may it be kept holy. See, a Christian is given authority because of Jesus' name. And as a Christian, I believe there is a direct correlation between the weakness, fatigue, and insecurity a believer experiences and their lack of prayer in Jesus' name. One of uh, my greatest examples of prayer was seen through the life of my mother who passed away a number of years ago. Prior to my father's passing, it was obvious that my mother was very concerned and nervous of the thought of being a widow. They'd been married for 50 years. Uh, my mom was, was not one for solitude or alone time necessarily. Um, and so during those final days of my dad's life on earth, 
and through the funeral and her move out of the homestead into the place of her own, I would often hear her whispering the name Jesus. And it was just loud enough to be able to decipher what it was she was reciting. The name of Jesus is what she was reciting. She was praying without ceasing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, To witness the calming effect. To witness the muster of courage to move along on unchartered paths uh, enabled by the name of Jesus. Carried an authority It carried uh, a strength. It brought a courage for she was not trying to find her way with her own name and her own strength, which carried limitations. Oh, it was the name of Jesus that was carrying her through prayer. Friends, we live in in a culture that wants to put everything else but the name of Jesus in the center and on our lips. But yet Jesus at the center is our best way to go and to stay the course. For maintaining Jesus in the center allows us continually to be called towards a gospel-centered worldview and a gospel-centered heaven view. You and I have no other long-term hope but the name of Jesus and all that comes with Jesus. And so we pray with a longing in our heart, the name of Jesus. Prayer does not allow any other name to be at the center. For this holy place of recognition is reserved for the one, the one that's named Jesus, the one who seeks to be at the center of our narrative, the one who who has come and the one who is coming. Jesus, and so we are encouraged to pray, may your name be kept holy and set apart for all the good intended purposes by which you were called and still serve. May your kingdom come, the prayer continues. This this rule involves confession and an interest to make room for the will of God. to make room for the continual renewed alignment to God's reign and God's rule, God's will. His ways and his original design for all things at all times. May your kingdom come soon. I I must say, in in the world that you and I live in, it seems... Uh, it seems to me that we are very far away from God's original plan and all the fulfilled promises. It's even hard to imagine. But yet prayer keeps us coming back to the main story and the main idea, God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. Regardless if it's hard to see regardless if we're not experiencing it or partially experiencing, Christians are asked to pray for the kingdom of God to come soon and not to stop praying. 
We need to know that when we pray for his kingdom to come, we're, as I just said a moment ago, we're making room. We're making room. We're making room for the king of this kingdom. So what does that mean? When we humble ourselves and, and ask for God to establish his rule and reign, it's in some ways returning to a theocracy, the rule and reign of God on earth and among all creatures of our God and King. And again, this seems, this seems far off because of our democracies and because of our dictatorships in this world and because of present rule of law and because of the, the heightened interest for personal rights and freedoms. Friends, rest assured that when you are praying, may your kingdom come, you are praying according to the will of God and you are doing this world a favor. And you're actually fulfilling the, the good responsibilities of being a trusted follower of Jesus. May your kingdom come, not losing sight, but warming continually to the idea of his reign and rule. For this, this day is coming. This day is coming. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 2 talks about it. A revelation of the picture of the preferred future. John said it this way, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And now the words are going to happen. We get tired of the older things. They seem in some ways to be passing away, even in front of us now. But as we learn to pray and use the Lord's Prayer, we learn what is on God's mind, and that is that redemptive plan. We're praying for a new order. We're the passing of the old order to accommodate a new order. This is what we're to go after as we pray. A longing for this new life that God brings and, and this turnaround that God brings when God is at work. And he's done that turnaround in so many people's lives and continues to have a heart to do it. So in the context of God's rule and reign, which is the first part of the prayer, Jesus moves on to teach four communal prayers taught in this Lord's Prayer. The Lord prays a prayer, uses the word us four times. Give to us the food we need. Forgive us our sins. Forgive as we forgive those that sin against us. And do not lead us to yield to temptation. Lead us not to yield to temptation. So by using the word us, he's asking for the consideration of who our us is. Who our us is. For when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying us. Who's our us? 
It's interesting in Matthew 6, Jesus um, had some stern correction to the Pharisees who prayed publicly for the accolade of man. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. But then in behind Matthew 6 and of course Luke 11, Jesus went on, um, when you pray, it is not in front of others, but it is for others. And the differentiation is very, very apparent, and very true. We don't pray in front of others. We pray for others. We pray for us. The Lord's Prayer requires of us to consider the world around us, and, and it becomes a call to this kind of consideration, to worldview and world consideration. So there's four areas. Number one, um, give us each day the food we, the food we need. The word give is a command. God, deliver the provision. God, produce it and deliver it. Give us what we need this day. So when we pray for provision, we are praying for the provision of us, for the other as well. The, this prayer asks us to consider how others are doing as they can have the same need that we have. We're not to be just praying for our food and provision. We are to pray for the provision and care of other people's needs as well. God, our source and supplier, and us, the receiver. It continues, and forgive us our sins. The Lord's Prayer asks us to pray and to use the word sin, a word that is spoken all throughout the Bible, but yet I, I, I find harder to use in proper context more and more. We all need to be gracious, merciful, careful how we view others, of course, but when we pray, we are to pray for the forgiveness of our sins and wishing that for others as well. So the Lord prayer calls us to be concerned about the sins of others not as judges or juror, but to be praying that God would forgive the sins that are so obvious in all of our lives. We're not become sin police. We're become grace dispensers, and that is articulated through a heartfelt prayer, oh God, forgive us of our sins. Thirdly, the prayer reminds us that we are uh, to forgive those who sin against us. Again, this heart for reconciled relationships, God's great imagination for unity and union around good and godly things. Those things that have been wrong, prayer is a call towards holy community that gathers in the name of Jesus. And finally, the prayer, don't lead us and don't let us yield to temptation. Our, our prayer whether it's in Matthew 6 alone or whether it's in a small group. I love so much praying in small groups. We, we, we have this picture of a community caring deeply, noticing, paying attention, staying in touch so that we are praying for others that they would not yield to temptation. In some ways, our church feels a little scattered these days. But our value of community calls us towards each other with or without a program. We're called towards community for the sake of purpose. 
So as we pray and as we live our lives, lead us not into temptation, temptation to give up, temptation to, to lose interest, to temptation to, to turn and walk away. We are called towards each other through prayer. I was hiking a while back with a friend in, in Port Moody, the Dias Vista, and a couple times we found ourselves collaborating on which way to go on the trail. We actually once found ourselves on the wrong trail and through collaboration, we were able to call ourselves back to the appropriate prayer. We did not yield to the temptation of a wrong path because we were together. And that's what prayer does when we pray for one another not to yield to temptation. You can be rest assured, friend, that if you're tempted, there's a good chance that someone very close to you is tempted about the very same thing. So we pray with a great consideration for the temptation that others are facing. And so what begins on our knees is often followed with a great concern to go help, to go rescue, to go come and come alongside one another for good purposes. So this passage in Luke 11, uh, it began with the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And as Jesus taught them to pray, he opened up his heart and he asked the disciples to open up their heart as well. And what was on full display when Jesus taught his disciples to pray was a great concern for his name to be kept holy, a great concern for his name to be in good reputation on earth, a great concern that Jesus shares as he opens his heart through this prayer is provision for all people, forgiveness of sins for all people, reconciliation and relationships for all people, and that for those that are tempted and vulnerable and susceptible to sin and compromise, to be cared for and to be brought along to a better way. For the disciples, what perhaps began with a simple curiosity about themselves, finished with them being called to take responsibility for themselves and also for others. They ended up with, with Jesus moving them along, further immersing them into this call of Christian community, of mission and ministry, to live with hope and courage and passion and joy as Jesus works with us and amongst us as we call upon the holy name of Jesus. Prayer calls us together in the sight of God and all the good place and all the good things that happen when we take that place in his presence, certainly with others on our mind and near us. God promises to take care of us. Let's let him do that. God promises to take care of, of the other and God promises to take care of us. So let's let God do this. We can trust in God. We can place our hope in him and all the good things that come as we do.